It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts Come on, quit stalling! Everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. Uh, Chris and I had the week off last week. We rested uh, rested up, and we're ready for a new podcast for you uh, this week. do want to uh, thank everybody that listened to our Exile on Main Street uh, po- episode, and thank Dean Gavney for once again being a, uh, a really good uh, really good guest, and I uh, got a lot of good feedback uh, on that podcast, and a lot of new listeners, and a lot of you new listeners went through our back catalog, and uh, so we appreciate that. Do want to ask you to uh, follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, on Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star Podcast, like our page on Facebook, and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Earpeeler, Laughable, and on SoundCloud. We are on all of those apps now, and so if you use any of those, just simply subscribe and you'll automatically get it on your device. And if you feel so inclined, you can leave us a five star review on iTunes or Facebook. We'd greatly appreciate that. If you do that, we'll uh, try to get in touch with you and uh, give you something as a token of thanks for uh, doing that for us because that really helps us uh, with uh, other podcasts being exposed to us. People that uh, uh, you listen to will uh, show up on um, as uh, other podcasts that you listen to associated with ours, and that would be really great. And if you can, go to the GoFundMe account for Nashville Rockin' Pod Expo 2. Uh, like I we, Chris and I say every week, none of the money goes to us. It goes to the organizers of the event. It's going to be a good time in Nashville. Chris and I will both be attending, paying our own way. Uh, the pre-party the night before with the band Angel and Tora Tora, and a party afterwards with the band Denman. Denman is a great new hard rock band that we actually saw at the pre-party last year. They have a new album coming out. The new single, Hire, actually, um, I think, dropped last week or this week. And uh, it's it's a really good song. And Michael Wagner, who uh, is one of the most influential music producers of all time, is pro- produced that album. So uh, he only works with people that he thinks are really good. And uh, Chris and I both like Denim. And Denim, uh, Chris, you, you enjoyed Denim as well last year, right? Oh, man, they were killer. Those, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the vocalist is, and the guitarist are brothers, and the vocalist is probably every bit as good as the uh, brother at, at uh, guitar, and they trade off, and I, I look at it as kind of like a... Um, and there's one track in particular on that EP. It really reminds me a lot of Striper, the, the guitar tones. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what they remind me of. I'm not talking about their music. I'm not talking about... Just their guitar. It kind of reminds me of uh, Sweet and Oz. So uh, that's a compliment. Yeah, so we'll uh, definitely get to see those guys when we're in Nashville in about it's about six weeks or so, Chris. Move, it's going to be here before we know it. Uh, so as you know, on the GoFundMe account, we offer perks uh, for people that donate uh, specific increments of money. Uh, one of them is you can pick the podcast topic. One, you can pick the topic and co-host with us. And the other one is... Uh, you can give us an album and we'll review. And Sonny Pooney, 
from the Growing Up Rock podcast uh, gave us an album to review. Now, the Growing Up Rock podcast is hosted by Sonny Pooney and Stephen Michael. It's a really interesting concept. Basically, it's they talk about your memories associated with music. So they'll take like a year, like 1987, and talk about you know favorite albums and, and musical moments from that year. Most of it's hard rock based. Most of it is based in the 80s and early 90s. But uh, they're very interesting. And Sonny Pooney is, I call him the Joan Rivers of... Uh, podcast host because if you remember back in the uh, 70s and 80s Joan Rivers would guest host just about any show there was and Sonny has been on so many podcasts uh, super nice guy Chris and I got to meet him uh, last year in Nashville look very much forward to seeing him again and hanging out with him and uh, he also uh, guest hosted a, a episode with me uh, one week uh, about a year or so ago when uh, Chris could not uh, be with me so that said, Sonny, we like you, and uh, we hope you still like us after this uh, after this review. What do you think, Chris? Do you think uh, Sonny's going to like our review? I think you're going to be a lot more brutal than I am, but um, <laughs> I think you, uh, he's going to hate your review. He may hate you. After. <laughs> um, I think he uh, he may tolerate me. He'll hate you. <laughs> All right. So the album, uh, I'll have to admit, I have never heard of this band. Uh, once I listen to it, one of the songs I have heard on the radio, so I'll give I'll give it that. But it's a band called The Storm. Now, The Storm, I think the album was released in 91 or 92. While the band name you may not have heard of, many of the players you have, uh, it's a big chunk of Journey, basically. You have Steve Smith on drums from Journey, Ross Valerie on bass from Journey, and uh, Greg Rowley, who was in San- in Santana and originally in Journey, I think he was on those first couple of Journey albums. And uh, anyway, so this album came out, and there's two ways to review it. I guess you can review it through today's ears, which is it's horrific, or you could <laughs> review it through the times in which it came out. So I'm kind of going to go in between both of those. Um, the first song, You Keep Me Waiting, um, actually, I, I think is a decent song. Um, at the beginning, it sounds to me like it could be a Def Leppard song, but then it gets very keyboard heavy. The second song, I've Got a Lot to Learn About Love, I think was the single. It's kind of your standard mid-tempo ballad from the 80s and early 90s. This sounds like a song that would fit perfectly in on a... Uh, uh, karate Kid or Back oh, to the Stop, 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 stop. Now, I've got to interrupt you. I don't like to do this, but I'm going to do it and I don't care. So the fourth song, I'm skipping ahead. I put, this is a more rocking ballad that should be on the Karate Kid. <laughs> and Chris and I have not talked about this beforehand. Not at all. <laughs> Swear to God, it is on my notes I'm looking right now, at right now. Number four, I put should be on Karate Kid. All right, so I've got a lot to learn about love. It, it, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's, uh, it's not. It is. It's not terrible. Yeah, it's not terrible. And, and for this album, that's that's a that's praise. So the next song in the raw, um, actually would not be that bad, except for it suffers from a problem that the entire album suffers from. There's way too many keyboards on this. And I realize you're basically dealing with, you know, Journey except for Neil Sean. And Journey's a very keyboard-heavy band. And I understand that, you know, Greg Rowley, hey, he played in Santana, man. He knows what he's doing. I'm not knocking him as a musician. But this album, it's just, it's desperately trying to have anthems and ballads. And it's doing so in a way that maybe when it came out, people were like, hey, this is great. Um, But to me, it seems very, very forced. And also, it suffers from what a lot of albums that are made up of of people from different bands for side projects. The lyrics are very uninspired. Uh, It's just basically like, you know, hey, don't give up. You got to fight or I want you back or, you know, you're the love of my life, which I get. And, And at that time, a lot of stuff was like that. A lot of stuff that you and I agree on that we really liked growing up was like that. But this just seems, it seems forced and it, it, it's not that great. Um, the song, let's see, uh, Still Loving You, some, song number eight, it and um, Take Me Away, song number 11 are just awful. 
Absolutely. See, awesome. I, I, yeah, and I did write specifically for number eight, terrible ballad. Yeah, so that's bad. Touch and Go um, feels feels like some of these other songs like they could be Night Ranger rejects almost um, without the keyboards. But like I said, the first three, uh, you keep me waiting. I've got a lot to learn about love and in the raw. I can handle, um, and I don't think they're are that bad. But the keyboards, it's just too prominent, and it's too slick and too glossy. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of production value, but you can you can go overboard um, on that. But um, uh, and and Sonny, I know loves like uh, uh, you know arena oriented rock and melodic rock, and and Sonny really likes ballads, and that's that's fine. Uh, th- this one's just got way too many ballads on it. But the the first three songs, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say are are, are decent. Um, and aren't bad, except that you know a little too keyboard heavy. Um, other than that, um, I think they may have put out one more album. I think they had some member turnover, but probably if they would have come out in '87 or '88, probably would have been a lot bigger. Um, so those are my thoughts on it, Chris. What are yours? The keyboards don't bother me like they do you. What bothers me is out of twelve songs, and, and I don't remember. But I'm going to say maybe, give or take, three of them are not ballads. That's what bothers me. You know, I think that there's some songs on here that are not bad songs. Like you said, that, that second track, I think that's a pretty good song. You know, like you said, the first one, it was pretty good. Um, I think there are some on here that are not really not that bad. I think the, the guitarist, uh, I, I had to write his name down, Josh Ramos says that he, uh, Neil Sean, was one of his biggest influences, and he actually replaced Neil Sean in Hardline. So um, that's kind of cool. I mean, the guy, you can tell, he can play. He's good. Yeah, yeah, he is. And and the, the solos are good. The musicianship is good on this. Like I said, the keyboards don't bother me. I, um, you know, one thing to point out, too, we keep talking about former Journey singer. There's actually two vocalists on here. And... Um, you know, I think there are some decent songs, and I think if I think the the ingredients were there, but they did not have the greatest recipes. You know, I, I would say that's that, that's the best way I could put it together because talent is there vocally, the stops are there, um, and they leaned way too heavy on the ballad. Now again, that was kind of the time, I guess, but it it really I mean, we say that, but yet these these guys are that were coming out with like your more kind of ballady type bands, like say like a I don't know, um, White Line, or whatever. They still put out half the al- at least half the almost going to be rockers, right? And so I think they went way too heavy on ballads. And um, yeah, like I said, they there was potential there. I uh, I did put that. Like I said, that number four should be in the Karate Kid. And for the last one, I made a note. I put very big capital letters. I put another ballad. And I said, maybe this could be used in um, in a scene in Mannequin. <laughs> um, yeah, see, those are the kind of movies I was uh, I was thinking. Because they had, what, the starship, Nothing's Going to Stop Us Now? Yeah, in Mannequin. And yeah, and a great, great, great example. And I know I'm the one who brought up Mannequin, but still, that's a great example. It's that type stuff. And... Um, it was, there's not a bad, there's nothing wrong with having that, but have three or four of those out of 12 tracks, not the complete opposite. Uh, like I said, the ingredients were there for a good record. I can hear potential in this, and I, I think they could have made a good album. That's why I'm not going to shit on it as much as you did. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, biggest, biggest problem, balance. And, and it's not like this was a throwaway album. This was on Interscope Records, and Bo Hill uh, was the producer for it. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, Interscope was a big deal. Jimmy Iovine, and then Bo Hill, you know, did a ton of stuff with, like, Winger and Rat. And, Rat, uh, yeah, he did, like, all those early Rat records. Yeah, and um, anyway, so it wasn't a throwaway album. So, uh, anyway, Sonny, we, uh, we appreciate you donating to the cause, and... Uh, we still like you, 
lot. Uh, go listen to uh, if you're listening to this. Go listen to the Growing Up Rock podcast. They they do a tremendous job uh, on their podcast. And Sonny, we'll, uh, we'll I'll buy you a couple of drinks maybe when we're in New Orleans uh, to help you uh, drown your sorrows. But we do appreciate you contributing. Sonny always listens. He is good to uh, comment on our stuff and help us out. And uh, just uh, uh, a great guy. And uh, if you haven't heard him yet, just keep looking, listening to different podcasts, and he'll pop up on one. I promise you. So, uh, Chris, and actually, Chris came up with our next idea. Uh, normally, we give you new music. We're going to do that for a little bit this week as well. But also, we're going to start from time to time giving you guys a, an album from the past that we think uh, it, you should go back and revisit and listen to. And uh, Chris sent me that suggestion a couple of weeks ago. And um, since he was not on the uh, Exile on Main Street episode, I waited to uh, till we had he, he was back co-hosting with me, and we will... Uh, We'll start that this week. Chris, uh, what album uh, do you have in mind? Okay, I caught an audible today. I actually had a uh, one that I'm going to save. It's a, uh, it's a punk album. But with our topic, um, which you're going to share that information soon. But look, I'm not going to, no, no sense in like beating around the bush. It's related to Guns N' Roses. So, um, and you see that right now when you're looking on which podcast to listen to. So I'm not spilling any secrets. Um, so I got to thinking about it. I was um, I was looking through Twitter today, and I saw that um, the self-titled debut record of Faster Pussycat was released on this day in 1987. And so I thought, okay, that should be what I talk about today. Because, first of all, like I said, it's an anniversary. Second, this was a band that if anybody is into is familiar with Guns N' Roses and Faster Pussycat, they know that these bands, there wasn't really, it was kind of a flip of a coin as far as which band, if either one of them were going to blow up. Uh, people, that, that tells you people had very, very high hopes for, for Faster Pussycat. And they still had a lot of success. I mean, when you think about it, they had uh, just a song alone, House of Pain, and debut did pretty well. And then, of course, Wake Me When It's Over came out, which had House of Pain. And then Whip had some pretty decent commercial success. So they had a good career. They just didn't blow up to the level of Guns N' Roses, but they were kind of the competitors. And this debut album is maybe my very favorite of the whole glam, sleaze, 80s metal albums. Um it probably is my favorite. I love this record. It never gets old to me. David and I have talked about this before. There are certain albums that we loved when we were, you know, when we were, say, what was it, probably around 11 to 13 years old, kind of in that range. Uh, maybe a little bit older for David. But there are certain albums that we loved at that time that it's hard to get through. At, at this time in our lives, like a firehouse, that debut, I loved it. I mean, I I wore that thing out so much. It was it. If there was a way to to wear out a CD with actually without actually getting it scratched, I probably could have done it. I listened to it so much. I can't listen to it now. I absolutely cannot listen to it. This debut faster pussycat I can put on right now and play from beginning to end, and I love every second of it. Um, I just think it's a perfect glam sleaze rock album. If you've never heard this record, just give it a chance. If you like any of that stuff from you know the late '80s, early '90s, the the hair bands, the sleaze metal, whatever, give it a shot. Um, you know, and another thing I would say too is I, I know I've said hair metal, but don't want to like diminish them because I've read reviews where people think they've said that they could have been the next New York Dolls. So I just think that's important to say, not like to just keep dishing them out as hair metal. They were a little bit different. They were sloppy. They were sleazy. They were just perfect L.A. rock. Um, before I give up on this one, I, before I stop, I'll just tell you a few songs to listen to if you've ever heard it. Um, don't change that song. Bathroom Wall. Uh, Smash Alley. Shooting You Down. Ship rolls in, 
just incredible. Um, song Babylon, I actually saw this earlier today. It was Ricky Rackman that tweeted about this. That's how I knew about it. And found out that the the, uh, the DJ in Babylon is actually Ricky Rackman. So that's it for me. And if I remember correctly, no ballads. Kind of a ballad. No room for emotion. It's um it's a ballad, but it's upbeat and um, it's not the typical ballad. <laughs> All right, so mine is going to be uh, "Death Magnetic" from um, Metallica. Uh, was the uh, came out before this last one for Hardwired to Self Destruct? I think it came out in like two thousand eight, and it was their I guess you can call it kind of a comeback album because Saint Anger was just well, it was uh, it was the storm kind of bad um, and uh, just unlistenable, and uh, they really kind of got back to. Uh, more of a injustice for all length with with some of their uh, with most of the songs. Most of the songs are you know clock in at six minutes or, or greater, and uh, it was kind of controversial when it came out because the way it was mixed and it is mixed kind of in a, in a I don't know other I really don't know how to describe it. It's just it's kind of loud and it's it can be abrasive to the ears. But uh, the song "The Day That Never Comes" was on um, the final installment of the uh, West Memphis 3 documentary on HBO. I think it's called Paradise Lost. And uh, that, that was a really good song. Cyanide, Broken, Beaten, Scarred uh, are really great songs. All Nightmare Long is a song that I absolutely love. It's probably my favorite song on the album. And uh, anyway, uh, My Apocalypse is good. It's just a, uh, it's a, it's a good album, and it has just gotten better uh, to me as the years have gone on and I've really been listening to it a lot mainly when uh, I get on the treadmill which is uh, pretty often these days and um, uh, just really enjoyed it it really kind of pumps me up but Chris you, I know you're not a huge Metallica fan but what did you think of it I thought it was a big 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 improvement over what they had done in the past and the thing about Metallica is I I'm not a hater I I like the early stuff. I like everything. And I'm not one of these people who say everything up to the Black Album. No, I like the Black Album. I uh, I thought Load was average. Reload was terrible. And Sane Anger was not even worth mentioning. And then this one came out, and I was like, all right. Yeah. This is kind of a return to form. So... Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's a really good album. Um, there were some there were some very very cool tracks on it. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I do remember. That, I mean, that was the big thing for me for somebody who had had been completely down on the band for many years. That was the first one that I thought, okay, this is this is the Metallica that I like. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to that or it's been a while, go back and listen to that and uh, give it another try. Chris, an uh, album came out, I think, two weeks ago by a band that I uh, actually, strangely, just found out about a month or so ago. They're called The Record Company out of California. It's a three-piece band, and uh, the best way I can describe it, it's uh, uh, a better version of the Black Keys and um, uh, just a really good young rock band. And uh, Chris, you'll be interested in this. I know your Social Distortion is your favorite band, and you always say that Mike Ness picks the best openers. Well, they've opened for uh, Social Distortion. And so uh, their latest album came out, and uh, it's really good. They were on uh, Jimmy Kimmel not too long ago. There's a lot of buzz about them. They have a big push from the record label. Uh, the song Life to Fix and Movie Song are the first two singles. singles and uh those are, are really, really good. I know they're on tour now. I think they're mainly hitting like the East Coast and the West Coast. But another band, another young young band from California that uh, hopefully uh, will continue to get better, much like uh, the Rival Sons. But the new album from the record store, uh, the, sorry, the record company, I would go and uh, pick that up. If you're a fan of uh, the Black Keys or uh, the Black Crows or uh, any 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 kind of band like that, I think you're going to enjoy it. And they're kind of a, a breath, breath of fresh air. It's, it's original, but yet it still yet it really sounds, um, still sounds like, uh, their influences. But anyway, the second album from the record company, go out and get that. If you have a chance. All right. Well, I'll stay in California 
and uh, it's a band out of, the, out of San Francisco Bay Area. It's a band called Culture Abuse, and they recently came out with an album called Bay Dream. Um, this is a uh, this is a really really good record. I was trying to think of uh, just as you were trying to do, David, like who they sound like. What is this? What is that? And I came up with a few different bands and. My comparisons, a couple of the bands people may not even know of, but I thought of four different bands where I thought there was kind of a mix, and that's uh, The Strokes, a, a, UK, a UK band called Pommel Violets, Vampire Weekend, and The Orwells. Um, most people probably are at least familiar with The Strokes and Vampire Weekend, and I just love this album. I mean, it's probably one of the better things I've heard in a while. And when I knew, when I got the uh, Dan Andriano endorsement, who is the uh, bassist, co-vocalist of Alkaline Trio, I knew it would be good. And I, I saw that on Twitter. And so I checked it out. And if you just want to give it a shot, again, it's called Daydream. Songs to check out. The song Daydream. Be Kind to the Bugs. And So Why. Those songs are just phenomenal. And then... The other I must bring up, bring up, which is completely on the other end of the spectrum, um, Devil Driver, metal band that's been around for many years. They came out with an album called Outlaws Till the End. And um, what they did is they took classic outlaw country songs and put their metal take on it. And it's not like kind of a little bit sped up. No, I mean, these are brutal metal songs. And the best one on there to me is, uh, I said classic country songs. They pretty much all are, except for one. It's uh, it's a Hank 3 song called Country Heroes, and Hank 3 worked with them on on rearranging it, coming up with a different sound, and he appears on the song. Uh, country Heroes is a great one. The Johnny Cash song, Ghost Riders in the Sky, phenomenal. Dwight Yoakam, Thousand Miles from Nowhere. Again, brutal metal versions of classic outlaw countries it's a great great idea a great concept and uh by the way this one is called volume one so there are plans for a volume two supposedly glenn danzig wanted to do volume one but he couldn't do it because of things that he had lined up so he's all on board for a volume two and i believe Corey taylor as well slipknot that's for sure an interesting concept um i never would have thought to put those two together but now that you're saying it it makes sense well, I saw Ricky Ratman the other day. He said he used to get goofed on for wearing these uh, outlaw country shirts back in the day of um, Headbangers Ball. And he said now, he said country, classic country, it's the new punk rock. It really kind of is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, so our topic this week uh, is not a long one. It won't take us very long to do it. But we're going to talk about our favorite albums, our five favorite albums from members of Guns N' Roses uh, after they left the band. Uh, Chris came up with this topic. I think uh, it's an interesting one. So uh, we're just going to jump right in, and I'm going to go first. Um, I'm going to go with the debut and only album from Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds. The lead single was Shuffle It All. I'm sure uh, most of you have probably heard that song. Uh, Izzy left Guns N' Roses uh, after he got clean and sober, and uh, decided he could not be around them anymore. And uh, so he formed the Juju Hounds. Um, Jimmy Ashurst uh, was played bass on it, who later went on to be one of the people responsible for Buck Cherry's resurgence. But uh, when this album came out, Shuffle It All was the lead single. It has a very cool uh, bass groove to it and uh, a cool organ in it. And uh, Somebody Knocking, though, I think is the standout, is the best track. The great thing about this album is you know exactly who Izzy is influenced by when you listen to this. It's got some of that kind of 1970s stone swagger to it. Uh, it's got uh, early Aerosmith influence. Um, there's even, uh, I think, a little bit of Motorhead influence. And then you know he takes a song like Pressure Drop, which is kind of one of the more famous reggae songs of all time, and turns it into a punk rock song. And, and Izzy was into uh, punk rock. But I love this album when it came out, and I still love it, uh, you know, 20-something years later. And uh, I still listen to Somebody Knocking, knocking and Shuffle It All a good bit. But uh, uh, just probably probably if I had to rank them, this is my favorite post-Guns N' Roses uh, album by any of its ex-members. But uh, this is the debut album from Ju uh, Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds. 
And I had this on my list too. And, you know, I, when you talk about the influences and the sounds, you know, the first time I ever heard this, I, I just thought, cause I, and I did listen to it, in fairness, years after, you know, when it came out. It was the first time I ever heard the whole thing in its entirety. But when I first heard it, I thought the same thing you just said. I was like, wow, this is, this is the Stones. I mean, it was, it was so heavily influenced, I feel like, by that, which anybody, you know, anybody that knows anything about Guns N' Roses knows that Izzy is a GNR fan. Um, now, Shuffle It All, I think, is just the coolest song and maybe, possibly, my, <laughs> I could make an argument that it's, it's, if it's not my favorite, it's at least top three post our non-GNR songs from the GNR members that has been recorded. I love it that much. Uh, like you said, somebody's knocking is awesome. Um, side note, I think the cover's super cool. I can't figure it out at all. It's right. so bizarre, but I think it's cool. Well, so, um, yeah. Jimmy Ashurst, who played bass on it, has uh, agreed to come on our podcast in a couple of months. Um, he's going to come on, and so he'll have some good insight to that. And he helped write uh, a number of those songs, and uh, he's going to be a, a really interesting guest for us to talk to. But, uh, yeah, if I had to rank them, uh, this is my favorite. So, Chris, what do you have on deck? Well, since you're saying we're not ranking, but we're going ahead and talking about because you're not ranking them, but you did go and say that would be your probably your favorite one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just start out with what I think would be my favorite one. Again, we're not ranking. But let me just go with what I think would be my number one, and that's Gilby Clark Pawn Shop Guitars. This record came out in '94. Um, a lot of the members from GNR were on this, uh, maybe even all of them. But the uh, opening track, "Cure Me or Kill Me," I just thought was awesome. Slash plays on that. Uh, Tijuana Jail has Flash and Matt Sorum. Just uh, just a killer, killer chorus on that one. Uh, Dead Flowers, which is the um, classic Stone songs. Axel's on that, and it's a great cover, period. But Axel just takes it to a whole other level. Uh, and then another one I put on here, Jail Guitar Doors. It's, um, it's, a, it's a cover song. It's a, it's a Clash cover. And Duff is on this, one that I always found really unique and uh, interesting that he played on this album was uh, Frank Black, also known as, uh, as uh, Black Francois of the Pixies. Um, I thought that was a unique one, that a guy like you know, Gilby from that hard rock scene was able to get a guy like Frank Black, the indie darlings, uh, you know, and kind of the the beginning of alternative rock he was able to get him to play on his record i thought that was really really cool um but that cover is just killer tell guitar doors yeah i had uh this album on my list as well uh you left off one of my favorite songs uh, on it skin and bones uh, i love that one this is my favorite probably my favorite four but i like every song on there really yeah that's uh just a, a tremendous um tremendous song so yeah i had that as well so chris why don't you go with another one since you just took one of mine all right well i'm gonna go with um not the first one this may surprise some people people may not even know about this one but slash a snake pit this was um i think most people know he probably came out if you're a rock fan anyway you know that he came out you know after guns and roses are i don't know if we were even officially broken up at that point but he put out a Slash of Snake Pit record. It's five o'clock somewhere. And um, had moderate success. In 2000, he put out a new Slash of Snake Pit, picker, Slash of Snake Pit record. And a uh, completely different lineup, new vocalist, everything. And uh, I think, honestly, what killed this album was the time. In 2000, people just didn't want a rock, just a rock and roll record. You know, this was at the time when rock was corn and lint biscuit. Uh, it was kind of the new metal. And there wasn't really a place for this. And you think about, what was it, David? Maybe maybe 2010, if that. Early when um, Slash started doing that stuff with all these you know, 
all-star roster of singers, and then he got Miles Kennedy. Yeah. You know, it, give or take, 2010. But in 2000, people weren't ready for a, just a, a rock record. And it's a shame because this album is just smoking. Um, again, it's called Ain't Life Grand. It's a guy named Rod Jackson it's on vocals. And if I had to rate the guy vocally on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to give him a 10. Vocally, he's that damn good. I mean, this guy is just killer. And um, I don't mean to speak out of context, but I think that he kind of, you know, suffers from the same demons from a future singer that Slash was going to deal with, a Scott Weiland. And um, I think that's a lot of the problem that they had. So they couldn't really continue on that one. But if you've never heard this one, you know, I, I don't know how... how easy or difficult it is to find it's that's what i'm about to say it's not on itunes it's not on spotify and if you try to buy it used on amazon it is not cheap that's surprising to me and it's surprising because people look at slash as like you know one of the top musicians of the last 50 years and so you'd think every record of his would be very accessible but uh so anyway, you may have to try to find it used. Maybe you can look at, listen to it on YouTube. But the songs that say check out, Been There Lately, Mean Bone, and uh, Life Sweet Drug, which that Life Sweet Drug is just so, so good. Um, this one just flew under the radar. And in my mind, it's nothing more, nothing less than the timing was off. Yeah, you know, if you remember a couple of months ago, I got you to burn that for me because you cannot, uh, you cannot get it anywhere yet. Got zero pub when it came out, and I think it was a, I don't, I think it was pretty much an entirely new band from the first album. Yeah, but it was. but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was just wrong, wrong place, wrong time, and uh, uh, like I said, it got zero publicity. Um, you, you just never, you never heard anything about it, and. It's odd that it. Well, you know, I, now that I think about it, you're saying like there's a ten year gap, but he did do Velvet Revolver in between, and they were very successful. So, um, mm -hmm. anyway, but we, you know, but the thing is too, though, they did come out that when they Velvet Revolver had Duff in it, and then he gets Scott Weiland, right? You know, if if Velvet Revolver had it in Slash and Joe Blow, it might have flopped too. Well, and also Izzy helped write some of the songs on the first album, and I think had agreed to be in the band and then backed out because he didn't want to work with Scott Weiland. Yeah, so you know, so I mean, when I when I say that this, when we're talking about this one versus a few years later, Velvet Revolver, I think that I, I mean I do think it has a lot to do with it that it was more of an all star cast, and I think that drew people into it because you know. Velvet Revolver, I mean, Kate and I were talking about this earlier today. I, I'm sorry for anybody just listening. I just realized I mentioned a name, but you don't know who that is. But a buddy of ours, we were uh, we were talking earlier today, and we were talking about the uh, the, the singer for uh, Kick Tracy, how he auditioned. And if they had gone with somebody like him, or even Sebastian Bach, a much bigger name that was from, you know, a vocalist from yesteryear, I don't think they would have had the success. They kind of had to go with somebody that wasn't thought of as from the hairband era. Hey, speaking um, speaking of the Kick Tracy guy, he's going to be at the Rock and Pod Expo. That'd be really cool. I, I, if anybody anybody listening to this, if, if you like the old glam, that that should be like a. Here, okay, I'm going to give you a little, little bonus material for uh, retro albums. Check out Kick Tracy K I K T R A C E E. And it's an album called No Rules. If there's ever an album that should have been huge and didn't, that's it. That album is insane. All right, you're up. Well, Chris, speaking of Scott Weiland, well, I'll go on to the second album from Velvet Revolver, Libertad. i got to admit, I was kind of underwhelmed with the first album. I did like that ballad that was on there. Um, can you remember the name of it? Um, Fall to Pieces. Yeah, Fall to Pieces was great. And they played at the uh, Live 8 concert when uh, famously for the when Pink Floyd got back together for a few songs. And they played it, and 
it was that song. It was really cool live. Slash was just totally in his element. Element, but anyway, uh, that was a great song off that first album. But the second album, Libertad, um, I really enjoy and listen to it a lot. And Chris, you may find this funny, but this when this came out, I was back. Well, I was big into like uh, Xbox and PlayStation, and I would play baseball or football sometimes for just hours at a time. And I always had music on. And this was an album that, for whatever reason, when it came out, was usually on in the background. And so for the longest time, I, I liked the album, but I didn't know the names of the songs because I wasn't looking at you know a screen that showed me the songs or I wasn't looking at the back of the CD. But it, it's a little more eclectic. And, and when I was doing some research for this, it's only the... Scott Weiland only wrote and recorded three albums completely sober, and this was one of them. And I think that really shows. And some of the songs aren't straight-ahead rockers like Velvet Revival was. And if you can find the deluxe edition, uh, I think it may be on iTunes. They do a cover of uh, the Talking Heads Psycho Killer that's really good. But the last song is so good, Grave Dancer. It's a ballad just sounds awesome and of course they had the she sells quick machines i think was the single and then um the last fight is a good song but uh to me much better than the first one but they uh you know succumbed to scott wyland's problem soon after that you know you keep hearing that that slash says it's not a dead concept that they may still do another velvet revolver album but i think after the guns and roses reunion and he has a new album coming out with miles kennedy in a couple of months i i, I don't think they're they're going to audition anybody else although they're rumored to have auditioned a ton of people a lot of famous people and not so famous people but um uh, the second album from velvet revolver libertad uh i highly recommend it i think it's really good i think the singing by wyland on it may be maybe some of his best work that he's ever done and i agree with you i don't think there'll be another i think it'd be stupid to do another velvet revolver i mean just let it die because yeah, you've got all that stuff going on with Miles, and and I personally think eventually, and it may it may be a while, but I think eventually they'll that I may be wrong, but I think Guns N' Roses will probably eventually do another album. That would be great. You know, I think it'll probably eventually happen uh, because now this whole reunion thing's been going on a long, long time, and how do we know they don't have already have twenty songs in the bucket right now? You know, we don't know that. I mean, they're not going to share that with the world. So I just kind of feel like he's got enough going on right now. I, I think it'd be stupid to even worry about doing that and trying, trying to start over and get a new vote. Uh, I mean, just make another record called Flash with a different singer. Right. Um, so anyway, my uh, my next pick is um, it's a band. It, this was a, a super group. It's a, it's a band called the Neurotic Outsiders, and it had Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. He was uh, the guitarist of the Pistols. It had Matt Sorum, drummer from Guns N' Roses, and Duff McKagan played guitar in this band, and then John Taylor, the bassist from Dran Dran, was the bassist in this, which is, yeah, it's very... Very different, eclectic mix, and uh, my sister is a huge Duran Duran fan. I mean, that was her favorite band growing up, probably still her favorite band now. Um, I told her about this album before, and she wasn't surprised that he's playing with Steve, jo that John Taylor's playing with Steve Jones, because she said that that uh, John Taylor's huge, huge influence on him was the Sex Pistols. Uh, this album was... Um, about half the songs were, were uh, had Steve Jones on the vocals, and, they, and the other half was a split between Duff and John Taylor. Uh, I can tell you right now, the John Taylor songs, um, I'm sorry, John Taylor is a fantastic bassist. Which, uh, listen to the old Duran Duran stuff. Listen to his bass lines. The guy is so underrated as a bassist. Vocally, yeah, he's not very good. Um, those are the weakest tracks on the album. But the songs, my favorite one, Duff has a couple of really good ones. Uh, good News, Six Feet Under. But uh, Steve Jones, Angelina, Jerk, Story of My Life, Nasty Ho. Those songs are so good. Um, I wish they had done another album. Uh, Steve Jones, it just shows. It's funny. I, mean, I, I love that first Sex Pistols record. I mean, I say first Sex Pistols record. They only did one. But. It shows you how 
uh, Johnny Rotten, you know, the vocalist, but yet Steve Jones clearly is a better vocalist, um, which that happens from time to time. But anyway. Yeah, I had this album on my list as well, and I'm going to be honest with you, until about a year or a year and a half ago, I had never heard of them. And uh, Decibel Geek was doing an album. They do a they do a thing where every couple of times a year, where they'll take one year and they go over everything that happened in that year in music, pop culture, the news, and uh, I think it was Chris Sinzak. He was like, "This is one of my favorite albums from this year that came out." And it's like Neurotic Outsiders. I was like, "I've never I've never even heard of that." And so they played the song Angelina, which I think was the uh, the single from it. And then he told, said who was in it, and I was like, "That's that's an interesting group." So yeah. I went out and uh, bought that, bought the CD used on Amazon, and uh, I really like it. And you're you're right, like you don't normally think of the bass player from Duran Duran having anything in common with Duff McKagan or Steve Jones, you know. But uh, uh, it musically, it's very good, and some of the lyrics are serious. Some of them are kind of tongue in cheek um, and kind of funny which um, I, th- I think is good. But, Chris, I'm going to throw you on the spot here because if, if you don't know this, this is going to freak you out. Do you know who was originally in the band? I know Billy Idol did some stuff with them. It was originally supposed to be Billy Idol and Steve Stevens. So, yeah, like, uh, okay, so who are they replacing? I get, I, I, let's see here. Hold on. I got it pulled up on Wikipedia. And I, I pulled it up because I remember there were two people that the first lineup featured Billy Idol and Steve Stevens, but they were replaced by Jones and Taylor. Okay. Yeah, because I know that they were more of a, um, which, which, by the way, Billy Idol has, has long ties to uh, Steve Jones, you know, going back to when they played in London, you know, with. Uh, Degeneration and the Sex Pistols and all that. I mean, long, long ties with them. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I knew that he had something to do with it. I just, but, and I think that they did. I want to say they were kind of, oh God, what is the, um, I can't think of it right now, but there's, there's several guys in, out in LA that kind of jammed together. And, Hollywood vampires. Talking about Johnny I, I Depp, know, Joe Perry, you know. No, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about, but it's something else. Um, I, I can't Camp think Freddy? of it. But, uh, yes, yes. That's it. They kind of seem like, I wonder if Neurotic Outsiders, are they kind of like a Camp Freddy before Camp Freddy. And they went ahead and just decided to make an album. Because what I've read is they were kind of in a way. It seems like they were kind of in a way like that Camp Freddy, but they put out a record, uh, just kind of a revolving door of different guys. Right, and I think they played. I think they played. You know, played a decent amount of shows um, after it came out. But um, it, 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 you don't think it should work, but it does. It's kind of like you say about Asteroid. It shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean, John Taylor. I mean, outside of Matt Sorum, he may be the best musician in the band. You know, I know people don't want to think that because oh, it's the Duran Duran. That's a that's a new wave band. He was an inc- or is an incredible bassist. And did, I mean anybody anybody who's thinking, really, I would just say, just go to go to Apple Music or Spotify or YouTube, whatever you use. Pull up a, a Duran Duran greatest hits. Listen to some of his bass lines. Dude's awesome. We know, and he played in that band, The Power Station, as well. Yeah, with uh, uh-huh. Robert uh, Robert Palmer, who's Robert Palmer. who's yeah. who's now dead. Uh, well, Chris, you took a uh, a uh, another one of my albums. Let's see here. You and I, we only had two that we had on the on the same one. That, that's interesting. But so the last one I'm going to talk about is the second album from Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, and that is Apocalyptic Love. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and this may anger some people. To me, a lot of Slash's solo stuff all sounds the same. I'm not talking about um, uh, the Snake Pit albums or Velvet Revolver. Well, Velvet Revolver on the first album, but a lot of his solo albums with we'll call them solo albums with Miles Kennedy. Uh, a lot of the, the the guitar tone to me is kind of the same. A lot of them have the same same beat and rhythm and and to them. But uh, 
with that said, Apocalyptic Love is uh, an album that I really like. And unless I forget to say this, if you go on, uh, let me make sure I'm pulling up Spotify right now. Uh, I think it's on Spotify as well. For the longest time, it was only on like the iTunes or Deluxe version. Yeah, here it is, Apocalyptic Love. They have a, um, well, it's not on the Spotify version. So anyway, a song called Crazy Life, which is my favorite Slash song, probably after uh, Beggars and Hangers On. And it, but it's a bonus track, which I can't believe they left this off the album. But some of the uh, uh, standout songs on it for me are Standing in the Sun, You're Alive, No More Heroes, Halo, and uh, Anastasia. Now, some of the other songs aren't necessarily all that great, but those really stand out, especially uh, Standing in the Sun and uh, No More Heroes. I really like those. Anastasia, I think, got a ton of air of airplay on the radio. And uh, Apocalyptic Love, the opening track is good but uh definitely in my opinion the best of his uh post velvet revolver solo albums so here's my thing i think that miles kennedy is a great vocalist but he's great on the same level that chris cornell was great technically they're good but they just kind of eventually become like nails on a chalkboard, especially Miles Kennedy. Again, super, super talented vocalist, but it becomes a bit too much for me. And that's why I could never get into that, you know, that slash stuff with uh, Miles Kennedy. All right, you so, know what I'm talking about? You know no, 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 all right, so it's, it's interesting that you say that. So there there are a few people that uh, I listen to that I hear people just drool over vocally. And I feel like I don't necessarily feel that way, but I, I always say to myself, it's got to be something wrong with me if all of these other people. And Miles Kennedy is, to me, is the greatest example of that. He's fine at times. But the rest of the time, it sounds to me like he's either copying, trying to vocally copy uh, somebody else. For instance, on the Guns N' Roses songs and the Velvet Revolver songs, like even his phrasing, he's trying to copy Axel, 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 or something. And then on the general stuff, his voice just gets on my nerves. And, you know, he was going to do, when, when Led Zeppelin was going to do that project without Robert Plant, he was the vocalist. He actually, there, there are tracks, live tracks recorded with him. He went to England and recorded with Bonham, Jones, and Page for a number of weeks. And so, uh, but I just don't see it. Like, I don't think he's terrible, but I think he's just, I think he's extremely overhyped. And I, I'm I, glad I, they didn't do that. Well, and I'm, I, I, I agree with you. Like, after a while, it does try to, it does greater nerves. Like, Chris Cornell is one of the greatest vocalists of all time. But if I had to sit and listen through a, a Soundgarden, record from beginning to end at some point i'm going to get tired of chris cornell's voice that said i think chris cornell is a whole lot more talented than miles kennedy but i I completely agree with what you're saying and so you're the first person that i have found that agrees with me on that which is odd because we don't agree on anything (laughs) hey whoever Whoever, if you're if, if if you're listening right now, whoever put the whoever put a comment on our page for playing a drinking game with slaves to the grind, David and I agree on slaves to the grind. <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink, right? <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're right, and um, <laughs> but but no, I don't know what it is about those guys. They're I, like I said, I think they're both like on a scale of one to ten they're probably tens but it just wears me out and especially miles kennedy um especially him but i know they're great vocalists so anyway i'm i'm actually really surprised you felt the same way but too. it's, it's got to be something that we're missing because i mean jimmy page you know slash these aren't these aren't guys that don't know what they're talking about no, I agree, but I will tell you right now, based on what I've heard, if if um, and I, I'm glad they didn't do it with with, I'm glad they chose not to pick anyone. But if if uh, Paige and John Paul Jones had a chose to tour with anybody with new music, it should have been the trained vocalist. And you can laugh all you want, 
but I've heard that guy singing those songs on Howard Stern. Oh, it's amazing. He nails them. I mean, he is perfect. It's, so if they had chosen anyone, it should have been the train vocalist. I I agree. I, I, I've heard those same songs that you're talking about, and I think they do some of them live from time to time. And yeah, I mean, if you, if you haven't heard it, check out. I, I don't know. What, I, do you know what his name is? It's Pat. It's Pat something. It's you funny. Just type in Pat, you probably type in Pat Train Ramble On. That's it, a good one. Is it Pat Moynihan, maybe? Yes, yes, that is it. Okay, so it's funny that, he, that, that, that they come up because my wife and I were out doing some grocery shopping or something the other day, and we got back in the car, and there was a train song on. And, of course, you know, she was singing to it and loved it. And I said, there's a great example of a band that has a lot of talent that's wasted on terrible songwriting. Uh, their uh, their music just does nothing for me. But I've seen them do these cover versions of of Led Zeppelin on Howard Stern, and I'm like, how's this even the same band? Um, yeah, check out check out anybody listening. Check out Train or Pat Moynihan, whatever. Howard Stern, Ramble On, that song, they kill it. All right, so Chris, we have used up all of my uh, all of my songs since we shared so many. Do you have any? I mean, albums. Do you have any left? I got one left because we were doing five each, so I'm going to go with what my final one is probably. I would. I'm not going to say probable. I, I need. I take back the probably. It, it, I would say it's. Well, well, probably, but definitely whatever the most unknown of the ones. Um, it's a band called Colonel Parker. I'm sure off of Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's manager. This album came out in 2001. The name, the the title of the album is Rock and Roll Music, and this has Gilby Clark on vocals and guitar, and Slim Jim Phantom, who is the uh, Stray Cats drummer. A couple other guys, but Slim Jim and uh, Gilby Clark, and it's a good title for the album because that's all it is. It's just a straight up rock and roll album. Um, no thrills. It's just like I said, point A to point B, rock music. Uh, I I think this one is probably going to be even harder to find than that Snake Pit record I brought up. But if, if you can, I mean, maybe you could at least check out on YouTube some songs. I could. Can find I, could you, I couldn't find it. I tried finding it everywhere. Couldn't find any on YouTube. I didn't try YouTube, but I tried finding you know to, to stream or to even buy, and I could not find uh, it anywhere. Well, if you're going to try, if anybody out there listening is going to try to, if they want to see what it sounds like, maybe you could get on YouTube, and if I give you a few different songs, maybe you can find it. But, again, Colonel Parker, they had it, C-O-L dot Parker. And songs were uh, dropping out. Can't get that stuff. My favorite one, All the King's Horses, and then um, old cover song, Mercedes-Benz. But uh, just a great record, and, and and this is one that it it sucks it's so hard to find because it was a uh, it was you know Gilby if you if you remember David was on Virgin and this album even in two thousand one was on V two Records which of course is uh you know part of Virgin and so Gilby even in two thousand one was getting on major labels and uh, it sucks that it's hard to find this one but uh, you know Gilby Clark is one of those guys that. I think people that are casual Guns N' Roses fans, they may not know a lot about him, and they may not know anything about him. Because, honestly, if they're casual, they probably don't even know who Izzy Stradlin is, which is a damn shame, but whatever. Um, Gilby was just such a great replacement for that band. He uh, he had the look. He, he was He's a good guitar player. He's a good singer. And the guy has just continually put out good records ever since Guns N' Roses. Um, not even since Guns N' Roses, but, you know, he was in a band before Guns N' Roses ever even, before he ever became a part of Guns N' Roses. He was, um, he sang for a band called Kill for Thrills. Uh, they had a record deal with MCA. Um, check this guy out. I don't know how, how difficult it is to find his stuff. I, I did look on Apple Music, and it looks like it's just a bunch of best of stuff. 
but uh, which is a shame. But still, check out his best stuff. I mean, Gilby Clark, if you just want some straight-up rock and roll music, Stones-inspired music, listen to Gilby. I mean, this this dude... Um, he should be he should be more known for his, his music than the guy who replaced Dizzy. So I'm shocked that you didn't bring up the super group he had with uh, Tommy Lee. <laughs> you know, hey, I'll tell you, rock star supernova. I tell you, they, that guy was a good singer, and they had some pretty cool songs. I mean, you can laugh all you want; they had some pretty cool songs. So um, you're talking about Gilby being like the perfect replacement for Izzy. I, I think this is interesting. I this kind of all just came to came to me so izzy's favorite band is obviously the rolling stones and when they opened up for the stones back on that steel wheels tour izzy and um uh, axel came out and played with them and they played salt of the earth i don't know if the stones had ever even played salt of the earth live and they uh axel and izzy wanted to play that song all right so izzy leaves guns and roses he's replaced by gilby clark it's obvious that Gilby Clark's favorite band of all time is the Rolling Stones. And both of their albums, uh, their solo work, especially that first Izzy album, and to, to a lesser extent that second album he did, 117 Degrees, the Stones' influence is just all over the place. All right, flash forward to the reunited Guns N' Roses, or the newer version of Guns N' Roses. Richard Fortas plays rhythm guitar. Chris, do you remember the solo that Richard Fortas played when we saw him, the instrumental? I don't, but something tells me it's going to be the Stones. Wild Horses. So, okay. it's something about Guns N' Roses and that rhythm guitar player, they cannot get away from the Rolling Stones, which uh, is not a bad thing, in my opinion. But, yeah, maybe uh, when I'm in Memphis in a couple of weeks, you can uh, burn that CD for me, because I, I, I looked for it and thought it would be very interesting to hear, because I do like Gilby Clark, and I do like his stuff. And, you know, he I'll can, make, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll, say, I'll, make, I'll definitely make you a copy of it. Okay. That is one. I mean, we always say buy music, but I mean, hell, you can't buy something. Yeah, if you can't buy it, you can't buy it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he shows up in a lot of these kind of like super group cover bands. Um, there's one, I can't remember the name of it, but it's kind of a who's who of musicians. They try, I know they play a lot in like South America, and they have like a rotating uh, rotating group of guys. Like I think Joe Perry's been in it. I think uh, Billy Gibbons has been in it. But Gilby seems to always... Uh, be around those type of things and uh, you're right he's a great musician and uh, that Pawn Shop Guitars is really a good album and, and Skin and Bones check that song out I love that and the, the Dead Flowers uh, cover and then uh, was it Tijuana Jail and Cure Me or, yeah. uh, Cure Me or Kill Me are really good yeah. is, are, is Bourbon Street Blues on that album? Not ringing a bell or is that on another one of his albums? Anyway that's a not good ring, song Not ringing a bell could be on there but it's not ringing a bell to me um, so anyway, uh, different hang members. On, hang, on, hang on, I can look at it right now. Okay, it is not. All right, and so. Uh, well, which, by the way, I'm looking at I'm looking at track listing. Hunting dogs. This is another great tune. Yeah, it is. It is one. There's one album that Chris and I purposely left off, and I think it's worth mentioning because we both really like this album. Matt Sorum played drums on it, and that was kind of the almost like a comeback album for the cult called Beyond Good and Evil. Uh-huh. Uh, was a really good rock record. Had the song Rise on it. Nico's one of my favorite ballads of uh, of, of all time, and I think uh, is it True Believers is that on that album as well? Yes, it yeah, is. that's another good song. So we left that off because we thought it'd be kind of dishonest just to have the drummer. Um, from Guns N' Roses on an album, but uh, if we were being honest and, and not uh, not using that caveat, I think that would have been on our, our list, both of ours, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. It would have probably, it would have been my number one, and without question. But what I will say is, since we're talking about these other Guns N' Roses members, let me throw Matt Sorum a little bit of love. I mean, I know he was on the, the uh, Neuronic Outsiders album, but he and I think he recently put out a, another solo album. But he put out a solo album. God, this was... I'm trying to find a date on this. It was a while back. It, I mean, I'm sure this is near impossible to find, but the album was called Hollywood Zen. This, if you can find this song, hopefully it's on YouTube, but um, it's a song called The Forgiving Kind. This song is so good, and it's got Matt Swarm on vocals. So... I'm going to throw Matt Swarm a little bit of love. 
check out, try to find the song, but that's one for getting kind. All right, so that's going to wrap this episode up. Uh, clocked in in a little over an hour, one of our shorter ones, but a fun one nonetheless. Uh, many thanks to Chris for coming up with this topic. It was a good one. I uh, do want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Digital Kill, on Instagram at Digital Kill, the Radio Star Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Laughable, Ear Peeler, Apple Podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review on um, iTunes or Facebook. And if you feel so inclined, donate on the uh, GoFundMe.com website. Type in Nashville Rockin' Pod Expo 2. We would love to have you on as a guest host of our show or let you pick an album uh, that we'll review. Um, our apologies to Sonny Pooney for killing his album, but uh, anyway, uh, we still like him, and uh, we'll see him when we're in Nashville. We'll be with you guys sooner rather than later. Hope everybody has a good week, and take care. <laughs>